everyone. Welcome once again. My diction is good these days. To Inspired Minds podcast. <laughs> it's been, uh, been so much fun <clears throat> doing these things. Um, as you probably heard, uh, at least if you've listened to any of these, you will note that this podcast is interviewing people about the creative process. And I've been really fortunate enough to talk to some pretty great people uh, by my good friend, Mr. Michael Simpson, who is uh, a brilliant man and feeding me these fantastic people to interview. Um, and it's been great. I get to learn about uh, so many different things. I got to learn about uh, editing uh, in the last episode, and I got to learn about directing. And this one was so much fun. Um, this is uh, a screenwriter, and I've interviewed um, a couple of writers as well. And they all have their different takes and the different personalities, the different processes, processes, process I, and it's been a really wonderful little time. And um, I had a lovely time speaking to uh, Diane Drake this afternoon, and she is a screenwriter. Uh, did uh, what women want, which big movie? I think we can all agree with that statement. Which was interestingly enough, it had such great themes in it that got remade into. It was remade in Chinese, in China, with Gong Li. Um, And then it was also made uh, uh, What Men Want, which was a nice little flip on it, on an African-American cast. She also did Only You with Robert Downey Jr. as uh, her first uh, published script. Published? (laughs) I don't even know how this entertainment stuff works. Eh, We'll go with it. Published script uh, for Only You, which also was made in China, uh, China, which you will hear about soon. Lovely human being, great person, hope you enjoy, um, and I think that will be all for now. Bye. So, hi everybody, I am here with the absolutely wonderful Diane Drake. Diane Drake uh, has a book, a wonderful book called Get Your Story Straight, a step-by-step guide to screenwriting from a multi-dollar, multi-million dollar screenwriter. I screwed that up, I am so sorry, you read the book. I apologize <laughs> profusely. Um, and it, it's re- not multi. Well, it technically, technically it is. Uh, technically, so we'll leave it. <laughs> I, I just gave I just gave you a raise. So, yeah, thank um, you. I appreciate that. Of course. So um, I, I'm so excited to talk to you, and you know, like we were uh, just kind of chatting about earlier. And the best thing, so I, I have so many questions. First of all, I see that your first, or if not one of the first films you saw, was Witch Cassidy on the Sundance Kid. <laughs> I don't think it was the first, um, but it was one I quite remember feeling, you know, just being so happy in the theater to see, you mm. know, just like it was just so fun and mm-hmm. witty and surprising. And it just really made an impression on me. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful that you mentioned being in the theater, because for me, theaters have always been a cathedral. I look at it that way, yeah. especially the older theaters, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, they so were just, beautiful. Yeah. And there was respect. There was honor. Yeah, yeah. There was, yeah. There was reverence. That's the word I'm looking for. So, yeah. Um, what about the movie did you like, though? Was it, I mean, and HUD, you mentioned. So. And HUD, well, in that interview, I think that you read an interview I did on my uh, website. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I realized the commonality was Paul Newman. So I think right. that was part of what I liked was Paul Newman. Right. I mean, and how could you not like Paul Newman? Um, right. 
but I I just liked everything about it. Like I said, I liked the wit, I liked the turnarounds, I liked the you know the, the relationship between them, and um, it just uh, the music. You know, it was just it was just a good time. You know, and um, and that's for me personally. Um, really what I most want out of movies and um and I find in all honesty is kind of a little tough to come by these days. I'm I'm not and we don't need to go down this road far, but I'm really just not a big fan of superhero movies. I mean there's a handful that I have enjoyed, but generally uh, it's just not my thing. And yeah. um and and then uh, the other stuff that seems to get made these days is, you know, lower budget indie drama that tends to be pretty dark um mm-hmm. or horror. And the sort of mid-range budget movies, you know, that people like the director I used to work for, Sidney Pollack, made, mm-hmm. um, like Tootsie or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, They they don't, or Jim Brooks, you know, um, as good as it gets, or um, or even Cameron Crowe, who seems like one of the last of that sort of breed mm-hmm. in a way. Um, but I, as much as I love some of his movies, the last few have have not been great. So. I think it just, you know, there's not many people making those mid-range, what I consider mid-range at this point. They're still expensive movies, but um, with stars and that have um, wit, <laughs> which is nice, um, and and are, are fun, you know? I mean, like when Harry met Sally, like movies like that, you just, you don't see a lot of that anymore. And um, I don't. I I mean, serious movies certainly have their place, and I have some that I really, really love. But generally speaking, I don't like to come out of a theater feeling worse than when I went in. So that's just my own bias, I guess. <laughs> not that not that uncommon. Not an uncommon bias. I think it's not. I think it's it's kind of uncommon. I can't believe the really? things that people. Yeah, the violence and the and the uh, yeah. darkness that people seem to enjoy, and maybe they find it cathartic. I I really don't know, but That's true. it's just not my thing, you know. So I, anyway, nor nor mine as well. So as I mentioned before, this this sort of podcast series that uh, that I'm doing is about kind of the birth of creativity and the birth of inspiration. And there, and I'm gonna start quoting you. So here we go. Okay. Um, okay. There's, Yikes. There's just, this is so good. This means so much to me, and I want to hear what it means to you first so I can okay. copy it. All right. Um, it says, to keep going or how to keep going when the muse is fickle. That mm-hmm. word fickle is so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can, can you explain that a little more? Well, I think that, um, as we all know, <laughs> it's not like turning on the faucet, right? Oh. Like we all wish it worked that way. Um, and there's that story, that apocryphal, I guess how you say it, story about um, Michelangelo's David. Yep. You know, that supposedly what he said (laughs) when he was carving the David was he just freed the David from the marble, right? Like the Uh David was always in there. He just removed anything that wasn't the David. And that's what everybody wants to be able to do, you know, to just go straight to it. But it's just, for me anyway, and I think for the vast majority of creative people, it's just not the nature of the game. You know, mm-hmm. you just have to uh, accept that some days are going to be better than others, and um, some a lot of what you do is going down blind alleys. It's problem solving, really. That's what I think screenwriting is, anyway. I don't know about other kinds of art, but I imagine it's sort of analogous, and um, and also just sort of. 
um, look at things with fresh eyes, you know, and mm-hmm. um, it, it just sometimes takes that, you know. Sometimes Problem solving. Going away and coming back, yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by that? That's, I like that. Um, <laughs> well, it's an infinite number of decisions, right? When you are facing a blank canvas or you're facing a blank page or whatever, mm-hmm. there's an infinite number of ways you can go, and that's kind of daunting, you know? And as you as you build your story, those options narrow, and then you get to a point where it's like, but if I want to have this happen, how can I, you know, but that, uh-huh. how do I get them from here to there? And how do I have, um, I mean, there's just an infinite number of decisions you have to make, and I personally, and this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but for whatever reason, and I really wish I didn't have this because I think it just hinders me, but I have a very high bar in terms of what I consider believable, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about the movies I've written um, because they were so absurd in a way. But within that absurdity, right, within that context, I want there to be sort of an internal logic. And actually, this kind of leads into my... um... I, this is my favorite question to ask a creative person. I do it every podcast. When do you know you're done? <sighs> That's a really good question. Um, you know, there's that saying, I don't know who said it, but, you know, a work of art, if we can call what I do art, a work of art is never finished. It's only abandoned. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, Having worked in development for quite a long time served me pretty well um, in the sense that I feel like I know when something's working pretty much. And um, when it's not working, I don't always know how to fix it. And I have certainly written scripts where I've come to the end and thought, this is not working and I don't know how to fix it. And it just didn't, you know, you don't bat a thousand. It's just the nature of it. But um, like with the one I'm working on now, um, I've had one friend read it just to get some feedback. And it was interesting because I still had, you know, too many places where things kind of, it's a bump, you know, it's just, I know this isn't working and, I, or I know I need to write this. I'm not quite sure how to do it or whatever. And he wound up giving me notes primarily and God bless him. Cause it was helpful, but on the yeah. things that were working right on what I felt like was working, he was sort of fine tuning things, huh? which was very helpful. And he absolutely gave me some good suggestions and good ideas and a lot of stuff I've integrated, but the, the naughtier, um, N O T T I R the naughtier yes. uh, story <laughs> problems. He, he didn't so much. And, you know, fair enough, because they're not his problems to solve. They're my problems to solve. But I guess my point being, like, I knew most of the scenes that he was giving me fine-tuning things on. They were largely working. He absolutely helped me make them better. Um, But uh, I I just feel like my own internal bar is not too bad. And then, listen, they can always be made better, right? Like, if if you're fortunate enough to sell something, it's definitely going to go through rewrites, right? I worked for for a director. I worked for Sidney Pollack. You know, I mean, everything is always a a work in progress until that print is locked, right? I mean, they shoot scenes that they don't even wind up using because they get into the editing room and they realize, oh, we don't really need that or – Whatever. So, so it's always that. But um, I feel like when you can hold your head up and walk away from it and, and feel like, yeah, I'm proud of that. Or you come to a point where you're like, I'm not that proud of it and I'm sick of it and I don't know how to fix it and I'm moving on, you know, to something else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason I love that question is because it's ultimately about letting go of things. Yeah. Right. And, and, and how difficult that can be specifically for an artist. I mean, really for anybody. Yeah, but I feel like screenplays take so 
long. I'm uh, just so happy to hit that finish line. You know, it's not like writing. I mean, listen, I don't have the ability to write a song or paint a painting or whatever. I wish I did, but I just don't think they take years, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, or a poem or whatever. You do it, and, and in a week or two or three or a few months or whatever, depending on what it is, it's done, and then you're on to the next. Whereas screenplay, it's a marathon. You know, it is just a really, really long haul. And there are so many, as I'm sure with any art form, but there's just so many balls to keep in the air. Character development and pacing and, you know, are these scenes, you know, structured right and... Sure. Uh, dialogue and all of it, you know, tone and 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 just I mean, getting in, getting out fast enough, and you know, is this interesting? Yeah. <laughs> is it all entertaining? You know, yeah, um, that, that's a big one. So yeah, it takes a lot of fortitude to be in that. It just to me because you're right. I didn't really think about that because for me as a musician, I can just edit, edit, edit all day long because it's on uh, digital, or I can put it something uh-huh. here, and I can. It's hard for me to let it go. But uh-huh. and I understand what you're saying because by the end of it, you are writing for years, perhaps, and uh, yeah, that's yeah. I'm 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 anxious. I'm very eager to call this one done. Um, and and I always am, you know. And that's another problem in a way too because you I I do not take my own advice, which is just like you know, write the first draft, just get it down, and then go back and clean it up. And now you got something to work with, and blah blah blah. And I know that the, the reasoning behind that and I think it's very valid but I especially writing this one um maybe because I hadn't written anything in quite some time I'm just OCD about it I I can't Mm -hmm. help but rewrite as I go I I feel like I have to have something to hold on to you know Mm -hmm. and something that I know is working and and I feel like okay now I write well I got to keep going now because I've got that really good opening you know whereas if I feel like it's all just kind of crap I just I'd be depressed by the end of it. Yeah. But I'm I'm sure, you know, that I know that that works for a lot of people and I think it's probably a faster process than being so meticulous as you go. But, you know, I mean it takes time no matter what you do. When I when I finally have figured out the last few, you know, puzzles, here the last few scenes I have to figure out. Um it'll be pretty much done. You know, and when I say done, it'll be done to the point that I will give it to people for feedback and then I'm sure I'll tweak a little bit, but it's it I'm not going to be really, as a friend says, tearing up floorboards, you know. I mean, it is what it is at this point. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because that takes a lot of humility to be able to accept notes. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I, I, (laughs) again, I feel like, (laughs) this is, again, where I feel like my development training served me well. You know, I was on the other side of that for quite a long time before I ever started writing. And, and in fact, I remember... I feel like I've said this in other interviews, but anyway, I I, I remember having a conversation with myself when I first started writing because I was VP for Sidney Pollock and I'd been at it for a while. So, and this is when he was really at top of his game and we were kind of seeing, you know, some of the best work of the better writers in town. And I remember literally kind of saying to myself, you know, like, you are not going to be able to write at a level that you respect because your critical faculties have been far more honed than your creative face the blank page ones have, right? Like oh, there's yeah. an overlap there, but they really are different skills. And yeah. and I'll be the first one to tell you that it is way, way, way easier to sit on the sidelines and critique than it is to face the blank page. 
and be mm-hmm. the one pulling things out of thin air and trying to make that puzzle work, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I I just had to cut myself that slack, you know. Otherwise, I couldn't have done it at all, I think. Sure. So I don't know if that's humility or just <laughs> acknowledging reality. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a difference? Um, so, <laughs> Maybe not. No, perhaps not. So what got you back into writing again? You said this is the first one you've done in quite a while. Yeah. Um, well, um, I will say this. I This is the most autobiographical thing I've ever written. Oh. And it's about an experience, or really not an experience, my my experience in general, oh. <laughs> excuse me, in the film business. Oh. And one experience in particular. And it was very, very painful to write it. But people who know me and know what happened to me um, have mm-hmm. always insisted, you need to write this, you need to write this. And for various reasons, I didn't. And I had to find a way into the story where, you know, the names would be changed and it would be my story, but not my story. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, so that was part of it. And, and I think I just felt like, I, you know, it's funny because I told myself at every step of the way with this, fortunately, you know, I mean, we can all always use more money. I could use more money, but I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a situation where I'm not relying on this to pay my bills, you know? And so I told myself, um, you don't have to do this. Just try it, you know, see how far you get and you don't have to, you know, Mm. there's, there's no pressure. There was a time, you know, where I did feel that. Um, but now it's kind of like I could, I, I could grant myself that permission. And so I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, you know, and, and now it's like, oh, my God, I guess I've done it. Well, and it was also COVID, right? So uh-huh. there was, you know, some things that I wanted to um, show for that time that we all spent so, you know, locked up. And I decided this was one of them. And being able yeah. to speak Italian was one of them. And so, yeah, so good work me. Yeah. Some people, some people during the pandemic learn how to cook. What? Albondigas? You, on the other hand, I... <laughs> Well, and I have to brag here. I will not be humble about this, even though but, not like my skills are so great. But I did do a lot of baking, too. I definitely got you, into that. Um, yep. Because yep. it was fun. You know, the thing about that, too, and I like cooking in general anyway, but the mm-hmm. thing about that, to me, I find it very analogous in a way because... Well, you know, it's a little more zen, right? You don't have to focus as much as you do when you're writing a script. And you're using your hands, which is also good. But Mm -hmm. it's a creative thing. I I really approached it like a creative project. But the beauty Mm -hmm. of it was, getting back to what we were just talking about, it was like, it's done in a matter of hours. And then you get to eat it. You know, it's like, well, this is the way to go. (laughs) This is vastly preferable (laughs) to sleep, you know, sitting over a hot computer. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I just, um, I enjoyed that. But, yeah, I think it was, it became a goal, you know. I just just realized, I apologize for interrupting, but I just realized something very, very important right now. And that is that baking is going to be amazing once this pandemic's over because everyone knows how to do it now. You know, it's it's not that hard, let's be honest, right? It's not. I mean, it's, it's really not. not that complicated. I learned how to make, I don't know if you know what Queen Amon is, but it's it's what's called yeah. laminated pastry, which is what's like croissants are laminated pastry. Wow. Um, and everybody's like so intimidated about trying to do that at home. It's not that hard. I mean, you have to follow directions. 
<laughs> and, and it takes some time, you know, and you have to have the right tools. That's really important. My dad always taught me that. Um, but, uh, but it's not like it's not doable if you, if you follow along and you got videos now. It used to be just cookbooks. Now you got videos. Totally. So. By the way, I love how no, this conversation just took a, how this conversation took a turn to cooking. <laughs> I'll, do cooking <laughs> I'll do a cooking show next. That'd be right. You um, should. Oh, you absolutely geez. should. Yeah. Like a creativity thing, you know, with somebody who's a yeah. chef. Would be cool. That's actually, you know what? No? Hey, point. Thank you. You get a booking credit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you now. I'm, I'm so fascinated to, and I kind of know a little bit about it, but the whole story from ladies' man to what women want. And oh, by the way, before I forget, before I forget, yeah. it's so great that that was obviously that that theme, the whole thing resonated because it was made in China in Chinese. I haven't seen that before, where an English language was translated over there that well. You know what's so funny? I don't know if you know, but Only You, same thing. It was remade in yeah. China with Chinese stars, oh, really? which is quite, quite incredible. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I got paid very well, actually, um, for that. Because my deal on Only You, my original deal on Only You was quite good because it was a spec sale and it was a bidding war. And so then they yeah. had to kind of honor that deal. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the power of a strong concept. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry. What was your question? Oh, about ladies well, men and what we want? Yeah, well. Okay. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, can you hear me sigh? How many times have I sigh? Yeah, right. um, I don't want to touch this. We don't have to talk about this. That's yeah, I, I, I'm sadly not really at liberty to get into that too much, except well, to then. say it was an extraordinarily painful experience. And, I apologize. Um, not right. It was not right. What was done to me? It was not right. I am. I, they I paid am me well, but it was not right. So. I am happy to move on. Um, okay. So Probably. here's the next one I want. And I just got to ask this because I'm a geek. Dog meets cat? Can, how can that get made? <laughs> like, what, what is that? What how that? come that didn't get made or how could that get made? Uh, it was my first script. I wrote it when I was working for Sydney. Um, briefly, he, he, he was a brilliant guy and, and I learned so much working there. But, you know, he's a director. He wasn't a manager or a company a CEO. He wasn't that. So he brought in this woman to run the company, somebody different than the person who had hired me. And, um, it seemed to be going all right initially until it became clear that her goal was to pretty much get rid of anybody there who preceded her. And mm -hmm. she was quite Machiavellian about it, quite quite uh -huh. brilliantly so, really, in hindsight. Uh -huh. um, or even at the time, I could see, you know, how clever she was at manipulating him and uh, undermining me. And um, and that's some of what had a little bit of that's made into the script I'm writing now, actually. But um, anyway, so I knew the writing was on the wall. And I finally figured it out. I, I was hoodwinked initially, but I finally figured it out. And when I figured it out, I just felt like, oh, God, I just, I don't think I can go somewhere else and do more script reading and development. I was pretty burnt out. Yeah. And I'd been toying with the idea of trying to write myself because, you know, you sit, as I was saying earlier, you sit in judgment of some of the better writers in town. And, and I started to feel like, well, if you know so much. And I was making very mm -hmm. little money. Sydney was... A really talented man, but he was kind of cheap, and he, I don't think mm. he really even understood the value. You know, he didn't know what it cost to put gas in your car. He didn't know what things right. cost, and so right. he was paying me very little. And um, and I I was and I was working seven days a week. I had to take like ten scripts home every week, and I had no life. I was living in the West LA, and I was working in the Valley, and so I was on the freeway two hours a day, and it was just really grueling. 
And then I would see these writers, you know, granted they were pretty much at the top of their game, but, you know, one was on a cruise to South America while he was working on something, and another <laughs> was living in Paris, and, you know, it just looked so like, that looks like a good life, you know, and <laughs> so I just thought, well, then, you know, put your money where your mouth is, if you know so much, and I think that was the thing, too, and, and again, I've talked about this other times, but I think... um for whatever reason, and I do think this tends to be more the case with women, um, sadly, I, the thing, I had the experience. I realized I knew more about screenwriting and structure and all of that stuff than a lot of the guys, and it was mostly guys, who were selling scripts yeah. then. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and people were selling scripts, you know, kind of right and left because it was in the heyday of the spec sales. And what I lacked was confidence, you know, and so yeah. really in hindsight, this, this evil woman, this villain in my story, <laughs> um, uh, it did me a favor because she put a gun to my head. She didn't intend to do me a favor, but right. she ultimately did drive me out of that job and I knew it was coming. And so um, prior to, you know, her completing the deed, I um, wrote a script at night. And, and in three months, I wrote a little talking animal script. There had been Look Who's Talking and stuff. And yeah. I wrote it for um, talking animals and um, just sort of about a dog and a cat who were forced to live together and didn't want to. And they were kind of metaphors <laughs> for men and women. Um, oh. and, uh, and, and it didn't sell, but it got me an agent. And it got right. me, I mean, I look back and it's like the stars aligned for me because like, I, I don't, I, if any of these things hadn't happened, I, I wouldn't even be where I am. But um, I I wrote in three months, I sent it to two agents because I didn't want Sydney's agency, I didn't want CAA to know, I didn't want to send it to any of the big agencies, so I sent it to two little agencies, um, and or maybe I sent it to three, I don't know. And two of them liked it, and one of them offered to sign me. Uh-huh. So that was all I needed, and and that agent got me one meeting at uh, what was then Hanna Barbera, you know, who had produced uh-huh. the Flintstones and stuff. They were going to move course. into live action, and so on the base they were, had a talking. They wanted to do some talking dog thing, and they hired me to write a treatment, and then they replaced me, which I kind of knew they were com- they were going to do anyway because they made what's called a treatment cutoff deal. But for whatever reason, they wanted a treatment, and and it, they were writers' good signatories, so it was like. 25 grand, which to me was a godsend at the time. Uh-huh. And it got me into the guild and it got me health insurance. And um, and then the Chinese cat actually was optioned a few times by some women uh, in the filmmakers who really wanted to make it and for a very low sum. But, you know, even a few thousand dollars to me was a lot. Sure. And they optioned it a few times um, and never got it off the ground. But so, yeah, that little script served me well. And it's, you know, what's funny about it too was I was really struggling at the time. Um, I'd broken up with my boyfriend, which was kind of the least of it, but, you know, and I was just, I knew I was going to be out of a job and I didn't really have any money and it was such a stressful time. And that script was so sweet. Like I look back and it's like almost saccharine and it's like, how interesting. Cause I was so angry when I wrote ah, it. Yeah, I was so angry and I was so scared and the script is just like so sweet. It was really oh. like, I guess it was an antidote for me or something to just kind of completely shut all that out and yeah, escape into this silly little talking animal thing. Yeah. So I know nobody in the film industry except I guess you. So I got to get this movie made. I don't know how it's going to happen. I have no money. 
I don't know anybody except you. We got to do this. Because I saw that thing. I'm like, dog needs cat. Whatever that is, <laughs> I'm in. I haven't looked at it in a million years. And you know what's funny? I wrote it so long ago that I didn't have a digital copy of it. And even if I had, it would have been on a big floppy disk or whatever. And I thought I had saved it, and I could not find it anywhere. And I thought, well, I guess it's gone. And then with COVID and the you know, closet purging that we <laughs> right. all did. Right. It was in this trunk with, with you know, like childhood photos and stuff. Oh. And yeah, so I found it. I found it just like maybe not even a year ago. So anyway, yeah, I have it all. Like, I have to pull it like, out and read it. <laughs> it's, it's like opening up the Ark of the Covenant. For me, it's well, that quite. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, sorry, Citizen Kane, dog meets cat. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Well, I, it was funny, too, because I remember, too, really quickly, uh, do you know please, who, please. what's her name? God, Meryl Marco. Do you know who Meryl Marco is? Yeah, the actress. Yeah, Night Court. Right? No, she's not an actress. She's a writer. She's a writer. Oh, she was head yeah. writer for uh, Letterman show way oh, back when. And she dated David That's... Letterman. She had written some sort of script with a dog that I read. She's a really good writer. Um, she says collection of essays I read a really long time ago that I really liked, and she's very funny. Anyway, and she had done something with a dog, because she had a lot of dogs. And I think even her oh. book, the collection of essays, is like what the dogs have taught me. Or, I, I forget. But anyway, so I think that was part of it, too. It was just like, you know, I like animals, and um, it was just kind of fun and silly. And all right, I'll do a talking animal movie. Yeah. Well, let's get that on the books. But in the meantime, um, <laughs> get that on the plate, whatever they say. But in the meantime, what I did think is interesting is that you, you kind of at least hinted at this, if not directly said it, that your, that your, your uh, script about your experiences, it, it sounds sort of cathartic in a way. Is it cathartic? You know, it's getting there. Um, it, it's been really, really painful, partly, uh-huh. because um, it, I tell people it's not like ripping open, open a scab. It's like ripping open a scar. Um, you know, but, um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I have, I, I will say this. I felt that if I were going to do it, it had to be, I hope, I hope I strived to be entertaining about it. And to be sure. hopefully somewhat funny about it, because it can't just be a wine, you know. No. And um, and so tonally, and I don't know if I've hit this bar. I, I imagine I probably haven't. But anyway, <laughs> what I was striving for, to some extent, anyway, one of one of my sort of touchstones was Devil Wears Prada, Uh-oh, um, yeah. which is not a flat out comedy, really, right? But there's a lot of wit no. and comedic yeah. stuff in it, and so. Um, and it's so entertaining, and it's also set in such an interesting world and stuff, and great performances sure. and all of that. But yep. um, anyway, you know that that's kind of what I was striving for. So, I, I yeah, I guess it's been cathartic. I mean, it'll be cathartic when I'm done. I think you know to <laughs> right. just say I did it, I did it, I finally did it. Sure. The thing that people have been telling me I need to do forever, um, and and sure. I mean, you know, it's tricky though because. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, I, I have no illusions about the business at this point and, you know, the place for this in it, but um, it would be lovely to see something come of it. You know, you don't write them just to put them on the shelf. So, But I, I have no. told myself, and, and I do feel this way. I wrote this for me. I, this, this That's, 
more than I, I wasn't, you know, holding my finger up like, okay, which way is the wind blowing? This was just something I needed. Of course. To say. Of course. Be- yeah. Because, and this is something that I, I'll, do, I'll just say this uh, briefly. Um, I went through a psychotic trauma about eight years ago. And oh the goodness. only way is horrific. Um, wow. And the only way that I was able to get out of it was, first of all, service work. I, I wow. went to Cambodia, worked at an orphanage. I did. I stayed. Wow. Uh, I'm sober 11 years. I stayed sober. God knows how. Um, yeah. I just a lot of lot of lot of self work, therapy, blah blah blah. Um, but I started writing, and I started I started writing wow. at the beginning of it, actually, right after it happened. And I um, actually used Facebook just as like my journaling, medium. or what did what a little kind bit. Of writing? Yeah. Uh, it, it varied. Um, and uh-huh. so what, what I'm doing now is I am writing uh, a series of short stories throughout my life because it's not just about the trauma. I've had a really weird life. Um, I mm. survived. This is a true statement, by the way. Uh, I am the survivor of an incredibly rare disease. There's only been 1,500 oh, of us since 1974. That oh is a true God. statement. Yes. Yeah, wow. Just all kinds of all kinds of stuff like that. So long story short, I am... I have been. I have found not only catharsis in my writing, but also I can. I found that I've been able to inspire others, and mm-hmm. it is that inspiration. Hence the title of a podcast. But it is that inspiration that has drawn me to the therapy world, so that I can be of service and help others. Right. That is that is right. my goal in life because I'm able, as I think you are too, being able to turn these traumas, poison into medicine almost. So that's how I look at it. Well, that's the goal, right? Turn your pain into art. That is the goal. I mean, it's not easy, you know, but um, I think about the sort of therapeutic quality of it. You know, there's a phrase. It's just such an interesting process to me because you're always trapped inside your head and your own thoughts and stuff. And and Mm. there's a phrase, how do I know what I think until I see what I write? Mm. And it's amazing to me what will reveal itself to you when you write, particularly when you write through characters, right? And hmm. so they're they're you, but they're not you, right? Like they're all kind of you, but none of them are really you. You know, there's, there's bits and pieces and, and it, there's an overlap, um, but you're changing things. And that was one of the challenges about the script too, was like what to leave in, what to leave out, what to make up. Very challenging when you're writing something that's really so close to you. Um, but I do think that you get insight into things, into events in your life, into your perceptions of things, into, you know, what matters more to you than you thought it did. Or like, it's like a light bulb thing where you're like, wow, I didn't know that I felt that way. Correct. That's absolutely <laughs> and it's correct. revealed to you through the process. Yeah. 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 And what's interesting too is what you have done is something that I often uh, try and edge my clients into as the therapist clients, which is when you face trauma, I'm convinced of this. When you face trauma, you have one of two choices. You either adapt or you die. And it's not survival or dying because survival just sounds like I'm not dead yet, right? Yeah, and death can, yeah. be, death can be everything from suicide to overdose to dying with a calcified heart, right? Mm-hmm. Just a dead heart, like you're dead years before that. But yeah. if you can adapt, you have to adapt because your world got blown out in the, in the trauma, so to move right. forward, you have to adapt into the nooks and crannies, and that's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's that thing. Uh, getting back to the woman who made my life such hell when I worked for Sydney, I remember hearing this phrase: "Love your enemies because they're instruments of your destiny." <laughs> and I think that's so hard to do, but I swear it was absolutely true with her. Now there have been other enemies. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've yet to see how, how that's going to serve me. There's, right. there's also a phrase, I don't know whose phrase it is, but live as though everything is rigged in your favor, yeah. um, oh, which is a good one to remind me. yourself of. That's yeah. Rumi. That, you got Rumi right there. Oh, is it? Oh, really? Yep. I didn't know that. I didn't know yep. that. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's very difficult, obviously. Life is full of challenges and, and, and trauma, as you said, and some people have way more than their fair share, you know. So I'm really not one of those, you know, Pollyanna. Well, everything happens for a reason. I, I don't believe that. I hey, think something is freaking god-awful. But yeah. I do believe that when that happens to you, whatever degree of horror, horror it is in your life, and an upheaval, that... Um, if you can somehow make something positive out of it, mm-hmm. that that that's the saving thing, right? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. like mean you know, oh well, this is why this happened to you. No, no, no. But it's your choice to, ch- you know. I used to say when when she you know pulled the job out from under me, and and then people knew how down my good friends knew how down and out I was, and I mean I literally was out of money by the time only you sold for a million dollars. Oh. You know, it was just like this amazing Ugh. thing. And and people were like, you know, I was kind of worried about you and stuff. And I was like, I was worried about me. And 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 I remember saying, well, it was this or get a gun, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and I was kidding mostly. I mean, of course I was kidding. But that was right. the feeling. That was the amount of rage I felt. You know, I I I you know I was a VP for Sydney Pollock, even though he wasn't paying me much money. I would never have walked yeah. away from that job. Never. Right. I was not in a financial position to walk away from that job, let alone professional. You know, it was just like I would have just still kept doing it. Um, and so, yeah, you know, good on me that I I managed to, um, as they say, dig deep and pull something out of it. Yeah. I love that you said, uh, well, here's something interesting. So in AA, when I first started, like, what, 11 years ago, people would get uh-huh. up and they'd say, I'm a grateful alcoholic. And I, that meant, I could not believe they were saying that. I said, what does that mean? How can you possibly say that? And then it wasn't until my trauma when I backed out or I walked up, you know, since then it's been a while. I'm actually a grateful trauma survivor, you know, mm-hmm. because I learned yeah. the lessons from the trauma that I was supposed to learn. I mean, I'm continuing to. <laughs> right. Right. But you chose Back- to do that, right? I mean, there, there was did. something in you that allowed you and and that's the thing you know that's the that's the i don't know that's the rub you know there's that's the magic like why is it that some people are able to do that and other people aren't and why is it that we're able to do it sometimes and other times we're not you know it's just it's really it's really tricky um but i think it's the only you know like you said otherwise you just give up otherwise you just you know yeah and i think you I, i do think you have to have like I'll speak for myself. I think as as lacking in confidence as I was, I think you do have to have some sort of sense deep down that you do have something of value, that you do have mm. something to offer, you know, because otherwise you can't even bring yourself to pursue it, I don't think, you know. And 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 also a little bit of that of that I'll show them, you know. Yeah, it's true. Actually. <laughs> that never hurts. Totally never true. Hurts. Watson, you're not going to stay sober for a day. Oh, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, That little yeah. bit of that anger, I think, is useful. Yeah. Oh, whatever whatever it takes to get you sober, that's all I... Anyway. Um, yeah. So here's another question I have to ask you before we may sew it up here in a bit, but... Um, okay. What is, okay. You're obviously, you're a very nice person. You're kind. I can tell. <laughs> um, no, seriously. Um, how does a nice person survive in the Optima Viper pit of Hollywood? <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, 
with a lot of battle scars, you know? Sure. I mean, I, which I think anybody who survives in Hollywood, um, I will tell you this. And I, my script was kind of going to be about this, and it's not so much anymore, which is probably just as well. But um, the people, and you're probably not supposed to say this, but I have said it a few times, so I'll say it again. In my experience, the people who did me the dirtiest again and again and again and again, and it's a pretty long list because I've been at this a pretty long time, were all women. They were all women. Interesting. And I don't think that gets talked about much. What we, you know, we obviously we've all heard of Me Too, what men did to women, sure. and good for the people who spoke out, and of course, sure. you know, people should be held accountable and all the rest of it. Good for them. But what doesn't get talked about so much is how women treat women. And whenever I say this to other women, they all like nod their heads. They're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like everybody knows it, but we're all supposed to do this rah-rah sisterhood. Yes. Uh, um, <laughs> and what yeah. I will say about that, getting back to your question, is I worked with and for some very nice women in Hollywood, but none of them lasted. It was the ruthless mm. ones who lasted. Yeah. Mm. Again and again and again. And I don't know quite what to attribute that to. I don't know if it's just primal or if it's more a sense, particularly, you know, when I was kind of in the executive ranks, a sense of like, there's only room for one of us here. <laughs> it's not going to be you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's going to be me. Um, yeah. I think there's some of that, you know, so in terms of being nice, I mean, I think I, I knew even though I had an executive job, I wasn't really good at the political part of that job, obviously. <laughs> I wasn't very adept. Um, I What I felt like I was good at was material. You know, I feel yeah. like I understood material pretty well. And I felt like I did right. have a bit of a gift for that. Like I had huh? I'd read a lot of the classics and I just had kind of tried to educate myself. And I think I was pretty good at expressing myself on paper. And so I just felt like I had a bit of, you know an intuitive sense with that. But the rest of it, I didn't grow up around that. My parents were not, you know, business people. They worked for the school system. And, you know, I just didn't, uh, yeah. So so in my experience, generally, um, <laughs> the more devious were, were you know, the, the business people, the agents, the execs, whatever, because they kind of lie for a living, let's be honest. That's kind of their job to a certain extent. That's an oversimplification, obviously. But, um and and to me, in a way, what a writer's job is is to tell the truth. So yeah. I just was, you know, that's just how I was wired. Um, I I guess, but, and so yeah. Because I had the same experience. Because I uh, was am artist guy, and then got into the music side of things, into business rather. Uh -huh. And the only yeah. reason I got anywhere was because I wasn't a suit, because all the mm -hmm. bands like me and they hung out with me, all, all that stuff. Right. But then that I. Makes but sense. then I. Yeah. But then I didn't want to be with the suits. So I was like, what a Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, there, yeah. No, because there's a whole other skill set there, right? There is. That, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's executives who are nice, but um, not many. <laughs> when I say that, oh, no. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just a different, they're just wired differently. They just are. They are. And, they are. you know, and, and I will say this, too. I, I Now that I have, you know, as many years under my belt as I do, I I look back and I do not know how I survived. I really don't. Like I and I remember people saying to me because I lost a bunch of jobs over the years. My bosses would get fired. I'd get fired. Company would go under, whatever. And um, 
and then you know people who really just set out to do me in and or whatever and I remember somebody saying to me at one point, you know, God, I really give you credit. You know, if that was me, I probably would have just packed up and moved home a long time ago. And this was like somebody from the Midwest, right? And right. I was from here. I, like, where am I going to go? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't have some family business in Ohio to go back to, you know? Yeah. It was really like I had no choices. So I, I had well, to do the most with what I could. Clearly you've done well. And if I may be so bold as to explain why you have succeeded and uh, thus far and will continue to was number one, talent. Number two, you have a good heart. So you're walking the right way. Oh, well, thank you, Jeff. That's very kind you, of you. I appreciate it. You that. cannot, I firmly believe this. You cannot make a wrong or right decision if you are walking in the right thing, mm-hmm. right? Because then you're doing your best at that point. So if you yeah. screw up, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you're going to, right? I mean, in, 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 in whatever you're creating and, and your choices and stuff, right? And and I think, yeah, you have to be willing to sort of accept that. And and also, too, and this is a little bit different, but um, I, I just put something up on Twitter. Uh, you're on Twitter? I'll follow you. Okay. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. You can you can see I put up a thread. I've never put up a thread before, oh. and it kind of gained some traction. Which for me, I don't even have that many followers, a few thousand. Um, but it gained some traction because it was kind of about the screenwriting contest, and mainly oh. what I wanted to say for having you know been a development exec, been a writer, been a teacher, been an, uh, a consultant, and written yeah. a book on screenwriting. What I find, and, and I hope I said it politely enough, I guess I did because people seemed to respond to it. They didn't seem to get offended. Um, is so many of the people who I work with, you know, whether it's a consulting client or, you know, a retreat or, or teaching for UCLA, they don't know where the professional bar is, right? Uh, they don't yeah. know what they don't know. And, that's fine if you're just doing this as a hobby, just like I'm doing cooking as a hobby. I'm not looking to be a professional chef. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you have serious aspirations of doing this professionally, then you need to hold yourself to that bar. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, for me, I had an advantage going in because I had worked in development and I'd worked for somebody who was very driven and the mm-hmm. bar was very high for him. And it, it was a kind of eye-opening to me. And you know, that's what I try to do with my own work. Like when I sit down to write, more often than not, I've done it a lot with this script. I've done it in the past, but never as much as I have with this script. I will read scripts I've read a hundred times. I will pull out Devil Wars Prada and I'll read some scenes or I'll, I'll read from Little Women or I'll read from Working Girl, which is just some elements of or whatever. And I will like by osmosis, you know, like, all right, how are they doing what they're doing? How are they moving your the reader's mind's eye through this scene? You know, how are they introducing new characters? How are they getting from one scene to the next? How are how's the story structured? And and really examining it in great detail and asking those questions and then going back to my work and like, okay, am am I aiming for that? Right? Right. And where am I falling short? Where am I being beat? And I just think that so many of the people who think they want to do this don't know what they don't know. And they need, if they're serious, to look at that. And, and, and the other thing that I sort of say in the thread, which you'll see if you read it, is that I think a lot of these contests are just bullshit, you know, with the exception of a handful <laughs> that I think are reputable. And then people want the little gold star and the little, you know, ego boost and, and that yeah. a girl, a boy. And, and that's fine. You know what I mean? You paid your money. Sure. You, if what you get out of it is you can post on social media and your friends weigh in and I'll you know, pat you on the back, that's great. But don't think that's going to get you anywhere. If you are no. serious about this, 
then you need to hold yourself to a professional standard, not, you know, we'll give you a gold store because you paid us some money standard. So what a wonderful conversation. My God, you're fantastic. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Well, thank you for the great questions. It was a pleasure. Oh. It was really fun. And, and, thank you. And one, one tiny little thing. Let's get dog, me, uh, dog meets cat on the board, please. <laughs> Seriously. You know what? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Better than that, let's get my new script. Which is called oh, owning it. Let's focus let's on that. That's, that's the thing to yeah. focus on. But yeah. before I die, just do me a favor now that we're friends. Before I die, please, just get that up on the board. <laughs> I'll pull it out again. I'll see what please. I think of the writer. What a lovely person. Okay. You Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Look forward to it. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.